Good afternoon. Welcome to another special edition of Screen Cleaning. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wissinger. And each and every week here on BYU Radio Quarantine or No, we do our darndest to shine a big old spotlight on all that is good in entertainment. And there's a lot good that's going on right now. Isn't that right, Cole? It seems, you know, I thought when we stopped having movies to review, right, that's that's sometimes the news that we rely on the most here when we start off the show before we get into whatever it is we're talking about for the week. And without it, I thought that we would be hard-pressed to find good news in the entertainment world. And boy, was I wrong. Yeah, there's just, even if even if there are no movie releases to talk about, there are still plenty of really good stories in the entertainment industry. And uh, so let's just start off by talking about some of those pieces of good news. These, you know, aren't going to make you go shouting in the hills with excitement, but uh, <laughs> things to look forward to, especially as we are stuck at home. Wondering, what are we going to do? How are we going to spend all this time? And a couple that I would mention are there's going to be a free film festival that you can stream on Amazon Prime. Normally, you would have to pay money to go see films as a part of the South by Southwest Film Festival. It's going to be a virtual festival. 39 films over nine days from April 27th to May 6th. You can see some of those films for free on Amazon Prime. So there you go. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, talk about looking forward. We've been had a, we've had a ton of news of movies getting pushed back and release dates looking now towards the end of 2020 or early 2021 when theaters end up opening again. Um, but also there's just all the movies that were in the post-production process and now we're slowly getting dates for or we're getting official announcements that they're going to happen. And a couple sequels I want to talk about are uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark is officially going to get a sequel over at Paramount. And then okay. Sony is bringing us, we got the title for Venom 2. It's going to be Let There Be Carnage coming out in 2021. Oh, you know what? They should have called it There Will Be Carnage. Which is exactly <laughs> what Woody Harrelson told us in the post credit scene of Venom it, it It's getting a lot of flack online for how corny this title is. And it could have been cornier. So think about it that way. It should have been should have been there will be carnage, which is kind of a tip of the hat to something that we'll be talking about later on in the program. They could have just called it Venom but, uh, 2. Carnage is going to be the bad guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. In case you were wondering. Yeah. Carnage is in this movie. Anyway. Colon. The fantabulous <laughs> emancipation of carnage. <laughs> yes. Cole, something I'm looking forward to, and I don't think I'm the only one. I had no idea this seems like a surprise. It almost seems like a uh, Cloverfield Paradox move, like a surprise, because we've got a Parks and Rec uh, reunion one night only, April mm-hmm. 30th on NBC. That is coming up I have up no soon. idea. That's in less than a week. But I will be tuning in for sure because they've got the entire cast coming back, including Rob Lowe. So who doesn't love them some Rob Lowe? And Chris Pratt, who, even though he's a big, gigantic movie star, probably the best, uh, <laughs> probably the best thing to come out of that show in terms of box office numbers. Career and afterwards. he's going to be there, too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You talk about, I mean, it seemed like this could have been a good thing to launch the Peacock with, which we still have to wait until July as of right now. But speaking of streaming, there's 
always new streaming news in the even in the middle of a quarantine and we got some more details on HBO Max which I cannot go to any website on the internet without getting an advertisement for that it's coming out at the end of May and it's going to have the Sopranos and Friends and the Big Bang Theory and everything that they're <laughs> advertising. $15 Cole, $15 a month. Now, granted, you're going to get access to all of the HBO offerings, including Game of Thrones. So I think for some people, that's going to be a big draw. But uh, yeah, you won't have to wait much longer. May 27th. Get excited, I guess. Not much has changed from some of their announcements. We knew a lot of the content and the price point and a rough springtime release date. Uh, months and months ago whenever we gave the first real announcement of HBO Max, but now it's just a little closer for us, and they are certainly marketing it. Yeah. Speaking of there will be carnage, I don't think there will be carnage on the show, but if I were to name, if I were to give this show a title, it might be There Will Be Disagreements, because coming up on the show... Cole and I, you know, we're stuck at home, so we've got time, I guess, to watch movies. And so we don't just want to watch any movie. Our time is still important to us. We want to watch movies that are considered some of the greatest movies ever made. And there's an organization that every so often likes to come up with these lists that like to be the end-all, be-all of the greatest movies ever made, in America anyway, And we're talking about the American Film Institute. They've come up with a bunch of lists. They've done anniversary editions of these lists. And Cole and I are going to be taking a look at the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies list. And in particular, the 10th Anniversary Edition. We're going to share some of our opinions, some of the movies we feel should have been on there. And uh, maybe even talk about some of our favorites. That's all coming up next here on Screen Cleaning. Oh, Cole, I know that there'll be a lot of arguing on this show today, but tomorrow I'll I'll think of some way to get you back. Tomorrow is another day. Frankly, Jeff, I just don't give a darn because we're going to argue until the cows come home about the greatest movies of all time. Gone with the Wind certainly being one of them. Yeah. And now keep in mind, we'll keep things civil, but the whole premise of the show is really that Cole and I are just we vary so differently in our movie preferences and tastes. And so it's no surprise that as we review the American Film Institute's 100 Years, 100 Movies, 10th Anniversary Edition, Um, we might have some strong opinions about some movies that are on here or some movies that are not on here. And we might also disagree heavily about some movies that we feel would appear on a list if they were to come out with another one in 2020. Oh man, right? that's that's going to be the fun part because and it's amazing that we have argued more preparing for this show than we haven't in months. I mean, we argue all the time, but like <laughs> this has been fun and it's because 
I've been trying to be more objective on this particular episode than I usually am because of what the AFI is all about. And so when we're going to get around to later on in the program, adding some more movies to this list, I wanted to come at it from a different angle. Before we get to all that, I want to be plenty subjective and talk about just some of my favorites that show up on the list that they already made before we try to, to meddle with it. Sure. Okay. So what are they? Well, well, first, what is the AFI? Anyone that's listening to our program should already be semi-familiar with it, but the American Film Institute, AFI, uh, for their 100th anniversary, came out with a list of the 100 best American, uh, that's the American in the American Film Institute, movies, as deemed by them in, in a poll of over 1,500 artists and leaders in the film industry. They sent out like a big master list. I've seen all of the films that were like quote unquote nominated. It was like 400 or 500. Uh, everyone voted. They narrowed it down. They made you rank it. And, you know, top is Citizen Kane, as you would expect. And then it just kind of goes from there. These are these are the quality. These are the, the classy movies of 100 years of American movies. Plus 10. So they've they've got to be feature length. So at least 60 minutes long. They've got to be American in some major form. So either there's got to be a creative or a financial production company that uh, is from the United States. So that's going to exclude a lot of some of the greatest movies ever made, right? Mm -hmm. It's got to have critical recognition, major award winner. It's got to be popular over time, right? So I can tell you, Cole, looking at this list of 100 movies, if I had to narrow it down to my three favorites would be the number 14 pick, the number 33 pick, and the number 48 pick. And in case you're mm. not playing along at home, let me just tell you what those are. Which we so recommend. There's a scorecard, and yes. it's it's fun to play along. <laughs> number 14 from 1960, Psycho, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. One of my favorite movies of all time. Number 33, jumping down to that, from 1975, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, directed by Milos Forman, who is not an American, but Michael Douglas produced the movie and is an Oscar winner for that movie. So it's an American film. Number 48, another Alfred Hitchcock pick from 1954, Rear Window. This is a movie that I could revisit every year. It's that good. Those are just my favorites from the list. I'm so happy that you started with Psycho because before we get to all the arguing... I also love Psycho. We've talked about this before. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And so certainly when it gets the recognition that it that it always does, uh, I like talking about it because, you know, I don't always like artsy, good, capital G movies. And, you know, Psycho is one of those that I do. And so I, I love Psycho. It's number, as you said, 14 on the list. Another one that I really love from 1939, right? These are the classic movies. Appeared number 26, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I love a story a about people coming together. And so to see Jimmy Stewart up there alone, just fighting for what he believes in, and then finally getting the relief and kind of getting making a difference um it's such a such a great movie to me and then casablanca is in the top three right people love it but if i had to pick my favorite humphrey bogart movie it's actually the maltese falcon which appears at number 31 oh, on wow. this list 
And then, of course, Rocky's on here and Star Wars is on here and Jaws is on here. And I love those movies, too. They're below. But, like, of the classy movies, those are some of my favorites. It's interesting that you mentioned Psycho as an artsy and a popular type of movie because this is one that has really stood the test of time and that people have gone back after the fact and have studied it in film class. But when that movie came out, it was considered pretty trashy. And a lot of critics did not have the nicest things to say about it. But I think Alfred Hitchcock got the last laugh because it made a ton of money and it's had enormous staying power. And as you can see, it's number 14 on the list of 100 greatest American movies ever made. It was the first saying something. first real slasher movie. And slashers, when we got to the 80s, are really trashy. And they're definitely not going to show up on a list of classy <laughs> movies like the AFI, like Halloween in 1978 or 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, even Black Christmas. Like those, That's that's for a different list. Um, the, the AFI, they keep it with uh, Alfred Hitchcock kind of horror, not not other bloody horror. Yeah. And to be to be clear, these are a this is a general list. So generally speaking, these are the 100 greatest American movies ever made, right? So if you want to be more specific, if you want to take a look at a specific genre, there are lists for that, you know, almost like there's an app for that, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's a list for 100 movies, 100 stars, 100 laughs, thrills, passions, heroes and villains, songs, movie quotes, movie scores, cheers, musicals. And then they have this thing that's AFI's 10 top 10. Which is 100 movies also, just divided into a top 10 of 10 different categories like animation or courtroom dramas, epics, fantasies. Uh, westerns mystery is on there which i guess is the closest thing to horror that i'm gonna get uh and a few others yeah so these are just some really fun lists that you can look up on their website you can google them look it up on wikipedia and just see how many of these films you've actually seen and who knows you may just discover some of your new favorites and uh cole before we talk about some of these movies that you and i have not seen we probably ought to highlight the top 10, at least, greatest movies of all time, according to the American Film Institute. Let's do it. So let, let's start with number 10. Number 10 is one that I would certainly agree with. This one, more probably more than any other movie ever made, has had more staying power. And this is a movie that's almost 100 years old. This is a movie that it, it does so well on TV every 10 years or so, they come out with another version that you can buy on Blu-ray or 4K. And it's The Wizard of Oz from 1939. Number nine is directed by a man that we've already mentioned today, a man that's well represented on the whole list, and it is Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. A a movie that when they first came out with the list on the 100th anniversary, right, in 1998, they had it down at number 61, but it had a big move and shake uh, because if there's anything that affects a movie from 1958, it's 10 extra years between the 90s and 2000s. Uh, <laughs> people realized, oh, wait, Vertigo deserves to be, and at least one Hitchcock movie deserves to be in the top 10 of our new list. Number eight is one that uh, I feel certainly belongs on there, and it's going to be 
Steven Spielberg's crowning achievement. I don't think he'll ever make a movie as good as he did with 1993's Schindler's List, which was at number nine before, and now it's number eight on the list. In 1993, that makes it the newest movie to rank highly on this 10th anniversary list in the top 50. So number 50 is The Lord of the Rings, the the Fellowship of the Ring. There's no other movie from the 90s or sooner or like towards us in the entire top 50. Schindler's List, if it can crack the top 50 as a 90s movie, let alone the top 10, you can tell it has the clout with the critics. Yeah. So what's number seven, Cole? Number seven, we've got an epic, you know, and which is certainly well represented on here. From 1962, it is Lawrence of Arabia, the only film in the top ten that I have not really actually seen. I'm sure that I sat down when it was on Turner Classic Movies as a child, and it happened, but I could not tell you a thing about it, and so I can't really count having seen the three hour and however many minutes of Lawrence of Arabia. And for that full three hours and how many minutes, Cole, you will not uh, forget the theme because they play it through pretty much the entire movie. (laughs) (laughs) So that's something you have to look forward to. Number six is another one that has a, a really recognizable theme. And it's another movie from 1939. Hmm. Any idea what that might be? We came in playing Gone with the Wind. That is right. I've heard Cole, and I don't think I don't think uh, I don't think this has changed since I read this. But uh, I read that Gone with the Wind has sold more tickets than any other movie in history. Yeah, there haven't been a lot of tickets being sold recently, and it just came back over and over in theaters, and people kept watching it. Gone with the Wind does hold the all-time unadjusted box office record because. Uh, it just stayed in theaters forever. People would still keep going to see it before they had home video. Okay. Number five. Number We're five. in the top five. It is what I would call the most fun movie in the whole of the top ten. It is Singing in the Rain. Yeah, it probably has the smallest stakes of any of these films. But yeah, it is just a delight to watch. Some great music, amazing dancing and performances Singing in the Rain was number 10, and now it's number five. Number four, speaking of crowning achievements, some might argue that this would be the crowning achievement of one Martin Scorsese, who, when this movie, uh, the last time this movie was on the list, 10 years prior to this, it was number 24. Now it's number four. So I guess it would be considered the best boxing movie of all time. And it's considered the fourth greatest movie of all time, and it's 1980's Raging Bull. Before that, I already mentioned Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca. It is number three on the new list. It was two the first time they came out. Uh, It just kind of flipped spots with the 2007 number two, which is The Godfather. Another one with a very recognizable theme. Thank you, Cole. Did you know that I recently discovered this? I just watched this last year for the very first time in my life. And when you've put off watching a movie for that long, a movie that came out in 1972, 
you've got to wonder going into it, is this going to live up to the hype? Is this really the number two movie of all time? And I've got to tell you, Cole, I don't disagree with its placement at number two. The Godfather Part Two is also on this list. It's the only the it's the only franchise that has more than one representative. Even though I would argue that Empire Strikes Back is much better than Star Wars, Star Wars is the one actually on the list. But Godfather Two makes the list down at thirty two. Do you prefer the first or the second between these two? The the first for sure. Interesting. I also do, but I think we are both in the minority. Well, and and the AFI also agrees with us, I guess. But when most people make their lists of their favorites, Godfather 2 has a little bit more popularity, I might say. Interesting. All right, Cole. So we alluded to it earlier. What is the movie that probably more than any other movie is studied in film class and uh, is considered by the AFI, at least, to be the greatest movie ever made. It's got to be number one. It is the classy movie. It's the one that when people say, what is the best? Not what's your favorite, what do you enjoy, what do you, what do you put on with some popcorn, but what's the best achievement in movies in the past hundred or more years? It is Orson Welles' Citizen Kane from 1941. Rosebud. What? Rosebud. So- what what was Rosebud? That was the point, right? It was just a sled. We can't we it? can't spoil it, Cole. Sorry. You can't spoil a movie that came out in nineteen forty one. I'll try. Yeah, it's if it you... is good. I've seen Citizen Kane, I guess, a couple times. Uh it's more of an artistic achievement, I think, than a great movie. Yeah. So uh if you want a a pretty humorous explanation for what rosebud is and a very succinct one just watch the clip from family guy which is not a show i would ever recommend to anybody (laughs) but i'll tip my hat where it's where it's uh, due that uh, it's a pretty clever way of of summing up what rosebud is i was expecting it to be a simpsons thing knowing you but that's fun that that family guy gets some recognition as well because there's one thing that i think of when i think of the greatest most classy movies of all time and it's it's family guy yeah, and you mentioned one of the uh, one of the films in the top 10 that had a huge jump from the previous list, which was Vertigo. It was 61 and now it's 9. Are there any other films on here that just made a gigantic jump? Yeah, I mean, just outside the top 10, you have The Searchers sitting at number 12, which is kind of seen as the example of a western, right? Just like Citizen Kane revolutionized a lot of camera techniques, that that John Wayne standing outside the door as the frame is maybe the most iconic single shot in movie history. And it went from 96 in the first list all the way up to 12, where I think it more belongs in the second. Interesting. And number 11 is, is pretty close behind it. As far as a big jump is concerned, a number 11 city lights from 1931 was at 76, and now it's at number 11. So what happened, Cole? Because those are both films, I mean, 1931. What happened in those 10 years where all of a sudden people were thinking, whoa, we were way wrong about that. That's not number 76. That's number 11. Nothing on the actual film changed. Uh, it was just the way we watch it, and and possibly even more um, the way it has affected other filmmakers. When you talk about uh, you know what makes a movie great, it's the inspiration that it gives, and it's possible that we just realized that more people are looking at 
these movies and drawing inspiration from them, and so we should recognize them a little bit more. If something's going to move up, other things have to move down. The African Queen was a number 17 the first time they made this, uh, and then it moved down to number 65 in the second one. Um, the French Connection, which has an amazing car chase, it moved down quite a bit. Ben-Hur, which I thought was more epic than, like, just in my own kind of bias, I would imagine that it's seen better than uh, Lawrence of Arabia, but apparently absolutely not. Went from 72 down to 100 the second time they made the list. Yeah, and then there were a couple of movies that, several movies that just got the boot altogether, and movies that were ranked sort of highly on the list, right? So a couple of movies that I was really disappointed they got kicked off and that if I had my druthers, they would be back on a list if they had one out in 2020. Amadeus, which is one of my favorite movies, such a fantastic film. And then Fargo, which many people would argue, Cole, and you and I might argue about this (laughs) later on in the show. Many people would argue... We've already talked about the crowning achievement in some of these filmmakers' careers, right? Or what's the greatest film that they've done? If it's uh, Steven Spielberg at Schindler's List, if it's Alfred Hitchcock at Vertigo, if it's uh, um, Scorsese has um, Raging Bull, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people would argue that Fargo would be the greatest Coen Brothers movie. That was on the list 10 years prior to that. It is no longer there. What's interesting, Cole, is that when you talk about what is this director's best movie, it is open for all sorts of interpretation. I could tell you just by looking at this list that I don't agree with most of these picks as far as this is this director's greatest film, right? Like I wouldn't say that Raging Bull is the greatest Scorsese film. I don't really care for Scorsese in general. But uh, Vertigo, I wouldn't say, is Alfred Hitchcock's greatest film. And, and this is where we get that objective and subjective argument that's so tough to nail down when it comes to artistic things like movies. And that's something I want to address a little bit just when we come back here on Screen Cleaning. hundred greatest of anything is really, really hard. Now, I can name you my ten favorite of anything you want, whether it's fast food, football players, or, of course, movies. But when you're trying to say what is the best, it is a much different conversation, and it's a conversation that I don't think a lot of people understand. This past week on Twitter, because many, many things are trending on Twitter while we're all locked up in quarantine, uh, one of the trends was five perfect movies. And so many times when I follow these trends, it's just different ways of giving you an excuse to talk about your favorites. Not enough people really differentiate between the questions. This past year was the 100th anniversary of the NFL, and to honor it, they listed their 100 greatest players that have ever played. And there was some argument, as happens anytime you make a list, because they included a lot of guys from the 20s and the 30s and the 40s that when you actually look at the guy, it's some skinny white guy that looks kind of like me that they're saying is a better football player <laughs> than than the athletes we see today. But 
their list was to honor a hundred years of football. Every other list that we put out during the year is going to have this, the same five guys that you recognize from the past 10 years. But just this one time, can we step back and, and honor the guys from, from long before that don't get talked about enough? And so as, as Jeff and I looked and, and tried to deliberate what we would add to this list— I, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just another way of Jeff and I saying, these are our favorite movies. And for us to bring up The Fugitive or It's a Mad, 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 Mad World all over again, because we do love those movies. But when we're honoring the history of cinema, we tried to make it a different conversation. And so if there was going to be an update, because they came out in 98, they updated in 2007, it seems like it's time for an update again of the AFI. These are some of the ones we would add to that list all right and i feel like i need to chime in here first because this is probably the first instance where we disagree cole you don't necessarily think that the american film institute would recognize comedies on their list because they didn't i I, if you go through this list there are plenty of examples of comedies classy comedies. okay classy comedies it's interesting because we mentioned earlier these these genre lists that they have, and they have one for comedies. This one that I'm about to mention shows up at number 10 on uh, on the 100 Years, 100 Laughs, but that's from 100 films. So number 10 is pretty good. I would put it on the list because I think it is the funniest movie ever made because it's a comedy that was shot as if it were a drama and that is really the the best way to shoot a comedy is to take these ridiculous lines these absurd premises and make it seem like it's a drama you deliver it with a straight face and that's what makes it so funny and it is airplane the funniest movie ever made in my opinion and it would certainly be on my list if I were a member of the American Film Institute. If there was a comedy, just a funny movie for funny's sake that would get added to this, I do agree it would be Airplane. A couple of the other ones you tried to bring up, and and I can't remember or not if they made our final cut list that we argued so much about, I would disagree with and I will push back on, but Airplane, I will give you. Okay, so the next one is another one that certainly is more popular. It wasn't a big award winner by any means, but it has stood the test of time. And uh, it's one that if Robert Zemeckis has anything to do with it, it will never be remade and there will never be another film added to it, which I would absolutely love because as far as trilogies go, you really can't beat Back to the Future or even the original Back to the Future. Isn't that right, Cole? Yeah, if Star Wars makes the list really representative of a franchise or if Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring can make the list, you know, as opposed to return of the King, which was the awards getter. And I think probably the better movie then yeah, back to the future should be there to represent the back to the future franchise. Zemeckis has a movie on the 100 it's forced gump, uh, but uh, back to the future, more of a crowd pleaser. I'm not sure if it, 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 it's on that border of, does it make the cut or doesn't it? I really, really love it. But would the AFI? Maybe. And and we should mention that hmm. we are doing this alphabetically. Airplane first, Back to the Future second of ones that we're adding. Yeah. Not necessarily in order the, of what we love. 
The next movie that I would add, Cole, is a movie that it's it wasn't on their original list. It wasn't on the 1997 list. But I think it would be a mistake not to put it on a list in 2020. It's an animated film, a film that it would uh, it basically coined the phrase Cinderella story because <laughs> the film is Cinderella. I think as far as Disney movies are concerned, it's one of the strongest entries. One of my favorite Disney movies, just because you have this character who is so kind and puts up with so much and to see her dreams come true and be unfolded right before our very eyes in a very beautifully animated way. I I think it's got to be on the list, Cole. It's such an iconic film and a movie that has a theme that will stand the test of time for sure. Cinderella did crack their top 10 animation. I think Fantasia was a movie that I really love, and I was kind of sad to see it go from the second iteration of the list. I I think that film-wise, it does belong. Uh, I thought that if we were going to add a Disney movie, it would be something from the Renaissance, something to maybe represent the Renaissance, like The Lion King, which is the most... AFI probably of it, or maybe Beauty and the Beast, which was nominated for an Academy Award. You and I both prefer Aladdin to either of those, but again, different conversation. Cole, the next one that we would add is a movie that uh, I think is the greatest in its genre, but you consider it to be your favorite movie of all time. (laughs) Right. Uh, The Dark Knight does make our list. When I first planned my little monologue, I was going to go out of it by saying, we're not going to have the Dark Knight. But then I thought more and more, and the more I convinced myself that Chris Nolan for this generation does need an entry on the list, and for it to have come out in 2008, the same year that Iron Man and Hulk both came out to launch the MCU, the Dark Knight made us think different about comic book movies. These weren't just the goofy cop popcorn fair. This had an Oscar nominated Oscar winning actor in the villain role. And it has led to a point where now we see Joker or into the spider verse being nominated for Academy Awards and Avengers Endgame being the highest grossing movie during its original run of all time. If that's the world we live in now, we do need a comic book representation. And I think the dark Knight is the most classy comic book movie that we've gotten. Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that, and it almost leads me to believe that The Dark Knight was ahead of its time, because had it come out even a a year or two later, it most likely would have been nominated for Best Picture and maybe some other awards. Well, just the very next year when they expanded the field to up to 10, because it wasn't nominated, it certainly would (laughs) have. And it's interesting that you you bring up Joaquin Phoenix, because as you were talking about that, I just did some searching online. And it talks about how Joaquin Phoenix is now the second person to win an Oscar for playing the Joker, right? Mm -hmm. And how many other examples do you have of somebody winning an Oscar for playing the same role? And I think the only other instance of that would be Marlon Brando winning Best Actor for playing Vito Corleone. And then two years later, Robert De Niro winning Best Supporting Actor for playing a younger version of the character. Right. That's a good poll. Now, the problem with these lists is you get some films that just aren't going to stand the test of time. Right. You get picks that 
are very indicative of the time in which the list was created. And just looking at the animated list that we referenced a minute ago, I honestly don't think Shrek would still be on that list. It's at number eight right now, ahead of Cinderella, which if it were to, if we were to do another list today, Shrek would certainly not be on there, if I'm honest with myself. And this next one that we came up with is really uh, the only horror movie that we put on the list, but we felt that it was so indicative of the time and had such an impact when it came out. It was nominated for Best Picture, nominated for Best Actor, and Jordan Peele did win the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, which is interesting because it's so heavily borrowed from other horror movies. That, uh, but we, we felt like it would make the list if it was out in 2020. And it is, Cole? Get Out, of course. It's, it, it's, a, it's a horror satire, which plays with just the time we are in movies right now. And sometimes you just have to, you know, if in a hundred more years they went back and said, what was the late 20-teens all about? I think Get Out is a good representation of it. Just because we're so close to it, it's tough to make that call and to to honor something that's so recent. But I I do think they would add Get Out if they were to make this list again today. Cole, you're going to tell me to get out here in just a second because of all of the films on here, this one, well, there's another one, but this one will probably be the highest debated one on the list. I'm trying to keep track alphabetically where we're at. Right, this is one that has stood the, stood the test of time, and as more time goes by, I think it's only going to be appreciated even more. This is another film that is highly studied in film classes. Some might consider it a perfect comedy, and I'm what? probably one of those people that would consider it to be a perfect comedy. I think I know what we're talking about, but what film class have you ever been to that watched Groundhog Day? Then put your little hand in mine. Look, Jeff, I am from central Pennsylvania. I went to Gobbler's Knob every February the 2nd to see if he saw his shadow or not. Bill Murray in this movie is the funniest an actor can get. But as much as I love Groundhog Day, there is a zero chance in the world that the American Film Institute would add a goofy 80s comedy to their list. They've already made additions in 98 and 2007, like to say what the movies are. There's no way that in the past 12 years we realized, oh yeah, wacky 80s movies actually deserve recognition that we didn't give them before. It's been long enough. If it didn't crack the list before, it's not going to now. This isn't their kind of a movie. Well, first of all, it was in 1993, And on their 100 Years, 100 Laughs list, which came out in 2000, it was at number 34, which, if I'm honest... So there's 33 other comedies that made it before there, and only a couple of them, and they are very loose with what they call a comedy, made the actual 100. But can you argue against... Uh, the idea that this is a film that is appreciated more and more with the passing of time? I think so, because I think if you talk to kids nowadays, they haven't even seen this movie yet, unless they have a a father who grew up uh, when it was good. I'm sure your kids will see Groundhog Day. But normal people, we're getting further away from it. I don't think 
look, I love Groundhog Day. It's tough to argue against it, but the artistic merits of Groundhog Day aren't that of the other movies that are in the top 100, the best 100, our time capsule of 100 movies. Uh, That's not Groundhog Day's place. Cole, I would love to argue with you about this, but I'm not gonna. Um, That's a line from the movie, pretty much. Groundhog Day is a good movie, people. It's just not a great movie. Okay, so are you saying that our next pick, Jurassic Park, deserves to be on this list in 2020? I think so. There's a lot of Spielberg already, and I'm not sure they always, as we've said before with certain directors, you're not sure they always make the right pick. Jurassic Park has a ton of commercial acclaim, and it has a a great fan base. It's the only even remotely good as far as like artsy movies in its franchise, that's for sure. But the first movie, the way that they used the practical effects and the way they, you know, combined to to get the look of the dinosaurs, I think does deserve to be somewhere on the list. Okay. Well, I I would agree. It's had a very huge cultural impact. It is the good Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think as far as thrills are concerned and a lot of the techniques that were implemented and the use of practical effects really make it uh, a film worth talking about. Now, our next pick is a film that was certainly worth talking about and not just because it was mistakenly, mistakenly announced as the best picture winner of its year, La La Land, directed by Damien Chazelle, is a movie that would be on this list, I would think and hope, in 2020. And one of the reasons I love this movie so much and the filmmaker Damien Chazelle so much is that he came out with another movie prior to La La Land called Whiplash. Whiplash is a completely different type of movie. Both of these movies have gut punches of endings, But I love movies, franchises, TV shows that as they come out with the next iteration, as they come out with the sequel or a follow-up, when you can't decide which movie is better, uh, that is a good problem to have. I feel that way about some of the Toy Story movies. And I certainly feel that way about La La Land and Whiplash. I can't decide which one I like better. But for the sake of this list and if we're honest with ourselves cole you brought up a really good point about how much hollywood likes to celebrate itself (laughs) this is a movie that takes place in los angeles we think that la la land would make the cut yeah now we're thinking like hollywood jeff if there's one thing (laughs) that they love it's patting themselves on the back and la la land reminiscent of of great movies of the past the ending I'm, i'm telling is just straight out of casablanca as far as i'm concerned and all along the way the way it incorporates old-feeling musicals in a modern way and with modern acting, it definitely does. Now, our next movie is a movie that Cole and I are both a little surprised was not on the 10th anniversary list. It does show up on one of the AFI's other lists. It shows up on the Thrills list, but it's only at number 66 on that one. And this movie comes from Cole's favorite movie year of all time from 1999 a movie that has spawned a couple of sequels and they were making another one, but because of everything that's going on in the world right now, got put on hold. 
And it's a movie in which we get to hear Keanu Reeves say, whoa. And I know Kung Fu. We're talking about The Matrix because when you talk about technological innovations and the art of making movies, bullet time and all of the the engineering that went into making The Matrix The Matrix, and it was commercially successful. It was a, cult, a cultural touchstone of its time, uh, but the look of it still looks fantastic even 20 years late, 21 years later uh, since it's come out. The Matrix deserves this recognition. Absolutely. Now, here's another one that Cole and I, we could spend a lot of time arguing about but uh, let's just say that this pick is arguable, right? We talk about crowning achievements in a filmmaker's career. And we've got to talk about the Coen brothers, who 10 years prior to this 10th anniversary list had a movie on there with Fargo, and then it got, got the boot. But Cole is thinking that a movie that came out since this 10th anniversary edition was made would show up on the list. And that is Cole. No Country for Old Men came out the year before they updated the list. It was like the year that they updated the list. No Country for Old Men gets released. They decide that Fargo was too recent. So the first time they made it in 1997, Fargo was the newest movie that had come out. And so when they revised the list 11-ish years later, they went back and they said, well, we were prisoners of the moment at the time. We need to take Fargo off but it was really to make room for another Coen Brothers movie, and that was their their good movie, No Country for Old Men. Coen Brothers have amazingly witty, sharp dialogue, amazing characters that they create, and funny, funny movies. Fargo, I enjoy. But it falls into that more comedy camp, whereas when they made No Country for Old Men, that's more of an AFI kind of a movie. Interesting. Now, as much as I enjoy both of these films, Fargo is an original piece of work. And uh, No Country for Old Men, if you've ever read the book, is exactly like the movie. Or I should say the movie is exactly like the book. But just like Fargo and some of the other Coen Brothers movies, if you look up the Wikipedia page of No Country for Old Men, this is a film that is highly studied in film classes. You know, you could dissect the themes and the analyses in this movie. And it's certainly one of the more thrilling movies I've ever seen. But I, I do I do agree that I think it is a movie that would show up on the American Film Institute's list. And uh, it's uh, the American Film Institute listed it as an AFI movie of the year. It was the best picture winner of that year. And I don't want to argue because I, th I think I, I, there are other movies that I, I think are more worthy of our time as far as arguments are concerned. And speaking of that, it's the very next pick on this movie, a movie that you are going to argue that it's my it's one of my favorite movies, and that's why it's on here. You're seeing some Jeff think, Colored Glasses here. <laughs> there's a line in this movie that sums it up perfectly that I will edit for the sake of the show. Cole, there are a shortage of perfect movies in this world. It would be a pity to damage this one by not including The Princess Bride on the list. This is a movie that has stood the test of time. The last time I watched this movie, Cole, I thought, this is why I love watching movies. And uh, I think it should be on there. And I think a lot of people would agree with me, Cole. Look, it, 
Yes, people love The Princess Bride. I am one of them, to be clear. <laughs> but it is not a movie that needs this kind of preservation. You also, just to give the audience a peek behind the curtain, you tried arguing for a Christmas story when we were trying to add things to the list, just to emphasize the fact that Jeff doesn't really care if a movie is good or not. He just loves his nostalgia of the 1980s and what he likes. And what you like does coincide with what other people like, and you're allowed to like what you like. But when we're making a list of the greatest movies of all time... At some point, you have to step back and say, yes, The Princess Bride is good and people love it, but it's not really doing anything to push the innovation of of film into the new... There's, there's movies like Citizen Kane and there's movies like The Princess Bride. And I prefer watching The Princess Bride, but they're not in the same category and they don't really deserve to be on the same list. Interesting, because you mentioned preservation, and in 2016, the film was inducted into the National Film Registry. The Film Registry inducts deemed, 20 new films every year. It's got a million culturally, nowadays. No, every Disney movie ever has been on, <laughs> into the Film Registry. It's no indication. Culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant, I would argue maybe it's all three of those. But anyway. Give me a minute and a half. Well, I'll we, find plenty of trash that's in the Film Registry. We promised that there would be arguing, and uh, I want to jump ahead, even though it's not alphabetically correct. There Will Be Blood is one that we would think would be on this list. Many would argue that that was the better film that came out the same year as No Country for Old Men, and that There Will Be Blood should have won the Oscar for Best Picture. And uh, some might even argue that if you were to look at these films decades later, which were already kind of there... There Will Be Blood is the better film. And for that reason, we both kind of feel like it should be on the list, right, Cole? A singularly great performance, if nothing else. Daniel Day-Lewis deserves to see himself on a list of great movies. And he did win the Oscar that year for Best Actor. So going back, because I messed up the alphabetism, if that's even a word, of this list. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. My favorite action movie ever made. It was one of those films that it won the Oscars that it was nominated for. It was very innovative at the time. I'm not sure how much the graphics have held up, but certainly influential. And again, a James Cameron movie that would make the list if uh, if we got our if we got our picks Terminator 2. And, and kind of like how Psycho is a really good movie that went on to inspire a lot of other like less good movies that I still enjoy, right? The slasher genre. Terminator 2 Judgment Day is a really good movie. I, th- I think that even the AFI recognized it as one of their top 10 science fiction movies. Um, they didn't have a top 10 action movies because they can't list 10 action movies that, the a- that are AFI kind of movies. But Terminator 2 with Arnold Schwarzenegger spawned like a, a real trashy action time in America. But the first one that came out, it was good and it's T2. Cole, we've seen a couple of, uh, if you look at the the animated list that the AFI puts out, we've seen um, two Pixar movies. And if you look at the 100 Years, 100 Movies list, there's only one Pixar movie. The great thing about Pixar is that they have a number of films that if you tried to pick a favorite or even argue that this one is better than the other one, you would have a difficult time doing it. And again, that is a really good problem to have. Mine would be up. 
I really feel like Up should be on this list. It won the best picture. Or it was nominated for best picture, I should say, when it was the year it came out. It won the best animated feature, which again, I would agree is not the, the greatest feat, but it also won best original score. Some might argue that the movie is only good for those first 10 minutes when you get to see that uh, montage of these two people falling in love and living their lives out put against this beautiful score that did win the Oscar. But I would argue that the entirety of the movie is great and I think it should be on the list. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not my favorite Pixar, but I am fine. Pixar also, you just can't go wrong with Pixar. I, I think you, you nailed one here where Up really would be, along with Toy Story, the Pixar movie that, that does have a chance to, to sneak its way into this AFI list. Now, Cole, usually we wouldn't end the list with a mystery. <laughs> and usually... Uh, people would put this on their list of great movies. And I suspect that we could find it on the mystery list of the AFI. In fact, it's listed as number 10. But I also suspect that you're a fan of this movie and that you would agree with me usually that The Usual Suspects would be the last film that we would include on this list. A wonderful... It, it's a throwback. It's one that does seem like it's from another time and it kind of stands out as being a really good mystery. Absolutely. So there you have it. Those are 15 films that if Cole and I were members of the AFI and if they were coming out with another list in 2020, we strongly feel for the most part that those are the 15 films that they would consider. That would at least be in consideration, right, Cole? We can agree on that. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Cole, you mentioned earlier in the program that uh, on this list, we have not seen more than 70% of these films. And uh, so when we return, we are going to see maybe if there's a film that we really ought to see after all these years. So we'll do that when we return. This is Screen Cleaning. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Huh. I've I've been been meaning meaning to to watch watch that. that. So, Cole, we've just spent the entire show talking about the American Film Institute and specifically the 100 Years, 100 Movies, 10th Anniversary Edition. We've talked about some of our favorites. We've talked about some of the um, the glaring omissions. So Cole and I have identified the movies that neither of us have seen and some of the movies he's seen that I have not seen. And as we do at, from time to time on the show, we swallow our pride and we decide we're going to sit down and watch a movie that huh, I've been meaning to watch that or I really should have seen that movie by now. So what's a movie that, looking at this list, Cole, I should have seen by now? Gosh, and and it's a monster movie, and it's right up my alley, and it's one that I've seen probably ten or more times in my life, not including all the different remakes that it's gotten and, and all the times that he's appeared in someone else's movie. King Kong, the first one, deserves its place on this list, and I am shocked that you haven't seen this stop motion feat of cinema. I have not. I don't know why. I guess maybe I don't always gravitate toward silent movies from the 30s, but I will watch it, Cole. I will watch it. 
because the alternative was watching Spartacus, which is like three and a half hours long. So I can appreciate the short pick. So thank you. You betcha. Now, let me tell you the movie that you're going to watch because you really should have seen this by now, Cole. It's one of the greatest Westerns ever made. And it was one of the times that we got to see Paul Newman and Robert Redford together. And it had such an impact on Robert Redford that, in fact, he named his film festival after it. So I would like you to watch Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I can't believe I've never made that connection. Sundance is really named after the Sundance Kid. Oh, yeah, of course. You mean the place in you like because isn't Sundance actually like also a resort? I thought Sundance was the name of the city. Oh, no, it's Park City, right? Okay, I should know this. I'm like right down the street. Park City. All right. So Sundance is yeah. named after the Sundance Kid. All right, I will watch yeah. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid before next week. All right. Now, we've made it very clear that this is the American list of the 100 greatest American movies. In some way, shape, or form, there's the strongest tie to Americans. So that's why they're considered American films, even if they weren't directed by an American. But there's another organization that uh, they think they've put together a pretty good list of the 100 greatest British films ever made, not the AFI, but the BFI. And so we want to highlight a film that's on that list for our Panning for Good segment. There's good in them dire hills. (laughs) This is a film that if you were to look at the BFI list of 100 greatest films of all time, made by British people, again, having the strongest tie to British people um, or British filmmakers, this would be number 13 on their list. And even though it's a dark comedy, I feel confident in saying that it's a film that you could probably get away watching with your family. Um, Again, it's a comedy. It's a dark comedy because there is death involved, but it's about this group of criminals who sublet this home from this old woman because they feel like she will be an easy target for their scheme and won't even recognize what they're doing, which is robbing a bank. And uh, one by one, these lady killers, they actually start to die themselves. We mentioned the Coen brothers earlier in the program. They came up with a 2004 remake of this film that was not very well received But uh, The Lady Killers, number 13 on the BFI list of 100 Greatest British Films. Check it out. I think I will. And it's also of note that a movie that got booted off the AFI list, The Third Man, in that 11 years in between, uh, shows up number one on the BFI list. Well, Cole, I've had a good time. I think we were pretty civil. I think we actually argued more preparing for this show than we actually did on the show <laughs> itself. Out, that's but right. I think we, I think we've settled some of our differences. And one of the great things about movies is that, you know, they're open for interpretation. Your favorite might be my least favorite, and there's nothing wrong with that. We just love that there's so much that can uh, be talked about in regards to these films and that we still enjoy them after all these years. And we hope that you will... St- Continue to enjoy screen cleaning as we are in quarantine mode. We promise to keep bringing you the very best in entertainment, the news that comes out, some of the better films that we've seen that we want to share with you that you can enjoy while you're stuck at home. And uh, we are here each and every Saturday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on BYU Radio. 
Google Screen Cleaning Podcast, and you can listen to past episodes wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Jeff Simpson. And I'm Cole Wessinger. And we'll see you next week.